Yes, yes. Rich Ryan here, and I'm fired up to bring you this episode with Ryan Kempson. Ryan Kempson is hands down one of the best and most dynamic athletes in OCR in the world. He has seen huge improvements over the past couple of years, including in 2019, a finish on the podium in the U.S. National Series and a third place finish at Spartan Race North American Championships in West Virginia. And we do a deep dive on a lot of things, including why he loves the use of water workouts to improve his recovery, how to create a race plan and a season long plan, and how to get the most out of your efforts when figuring out that whole process. We talk about how to build sustainable volume year over year, over year and how to understand what predictable results you might see from that. And we end up chatting a lot about the future of the sport and some of the possibilities and directions that we think it could go. So I also would be remiss not to mention one of Ryan's main sponsors and one of my favorite companies it's called Athletic Brews. And we talk about Athletic Brews a bit off the air, but one thing that did come up was just how much we really enjoy the company's approach. It's just not really preachy. They just have something that's really cool and it's something that is helpful for people. And if you like beer and you don't like hangovers and you like recovery, this non-alcoholic beer called Athletic Brews is actually awesome. So definitely give that a shot. If you want to take a look at it and give it a, and give it a try, you can use the code RICHR20 at checkout. Get your first order for 20% off. That's super solid. Cool. So I love this convo. It spanned pretty much the entire duration of the night. My uh, fire alarm in my building went off. And uh, so I had to kind of leave for 45 minutes, but uh, Ryan was awesome, kept it going. And we went on a journey. So thank you for joining us for this journey. Ryan Kempson. So do you ever get to hoop anymore? Yeah. Um, so last summer, I was so stoked uh used to um so before i started coaching like endurance athletes and whatnot uh ocr um i was a, a trainer and a, i ran a basketball program i had a, a whole the yeah, multiple team aau program that i formed and, and owned and ran um and i had this like really elite team like um all the kids went on to play college basketball and they're in college now, and we ended up getting together, and I ended up getting to play on a men's league with them in the summer, which was the first time in, like, I don't know, six, seven years that I got to play, like, men's league basketball again. Real hoops, and, yeah. Oh, my God. It was so much fun last summer. Um, and then the I gym I go to now. Good. You know, you try to, like <laughs> – Yeah. Um, I was a point guard, so you kind of have um, just kind of that inner beast in you all the time that wants to take control. Um, and I try to like defer to the kids and just be like the old man sitting in the corner putting up threes. But, uh, I think I love basketball. I, I just have a, a really deep passion for it. And, uh, once I get into the game, I'm just ultra competitive and, uh, it was just really fun to get back to that and, you know, sweating and be like a hard old man running around and, <laughs> Dude, in, in like high school, like playing, dude, I'm sure like when we played in men's leagues, like we would go to a men's league for a summer league or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, every single person on the men's team was like so strong. Were you, were, yeah. you old, were you old man strength? Were you able to like <laughs> kind of work down the post, move some people out of the way just based off being older? Yeah, um, I, I actually, I was always like that. I played on a lot of, um, I, I was, even though I grew up in Vermont, our, we had this, for whatever reason, a really strong basketball culture in the town I grew up in. And uh, we had this men's league where um, not 
big college, but these local community and like Green Mountain College came and played in the summer. So as a high school player, I got to play against college players and then a bunch mm. of, you know, redneck, big, you know, lumberjack, you know, log split and uh, bullies on the court. And so growing up, I always learned uh, kind of that men's league style of play from the start. Um, and it's just, so just being it. physical, it's like 90s yeah, style you know, basketball. Yeah, I always played like I was a like a, a, a seven-foot center rather than, you know, a, a six, <laughs> eight, or five, eight, 130-pound point guard. <laughs> oh, well, I know my favorite player watching, even though I don't really like him as a person, is Kyrie Irving. Oh, really? Yeah, I love watching him. And actually, John Moran is like, he's so much fun to watch these days. Yeah. He's so athletic and so, – I. I think that's what really attracted me about basketball is like the fluency and smoothness of it and kind of like that, that art form side of it. Um, that's why I hate watching LeBron play. He's just this physical freak. and He's bully ball now. And especially yeah, now at this I, age, I just don't enjoy the watching him. You know, the dunks are cool, but I don't know. I don't like how he basically has forced all these championships with these teams. You know? Yeah. I mean, like it's just now that's like what it is. Like it's, it is, it's like frustrating when you just know there's going to be an unhappy superstar and they're, they're going to get their way. Um, like I'm a Sixers fan. So I'm sure Ben Simmons is going to be like, okay, trade me. You guys are rude now in the East. I know. I don't know what I I was hoping that trade was going to happen for us. Like at that point, I was like like, trying to wrap my head around. I don't love that Harden, like what he was doing in Houston coming in out of shape. I was like, "Ah." but then I was like, well, I can make three pointers and he's, really awesome. Ben Simmons just like, won't you? Ben Simmons is like the opposite of you. Like where you're like obsessed about a skill set. He's like, nah, I'm good. I can't do that. And I'm not going to do it. Don't get how NBA players can get to the league and not become good shooters. It's like, actually I should. So I tell you that I've worked with uh, the, the, the the coach of the camp was Miami heat shooting coach. And uh, he worked with Shaq and he brought it up. And he's like, yeah, Shaq, like it's not that, he tried. He didn't care about making free throws. He did not care at all. He goes, he refused to practice. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, I, like there's guys who now in the league, like, you know, you have to shoot three pointers to exist on the court. Like, yeah. and in one off season, a guy will be a, a post player and then like a Brooke Lopez type. And then all of a sudden he's shooting like 38% from three. <laughs> it's oh, like, man. he just learned <laughs> because he's an amazing athlete and can just do that. And then like Ben Simmons is like, I'm good, man. I don't need to do that. I know. It makes no sense. It really kills me. Um, and you, did you go to Plymouth? Is that where you went? Yeah, I went to Plymouth. And that's D2? No, it's uh, it's D3, but they're in um, the Little East Conference, so it's um, a pretty competitive D3 for um, you know most of the sports up there. Is that where you li- linked up with um, Taylor, Taylor Cruz? Yeah, so um, – I, uh, I, it's actually the, the, the common thread is, uh, Tom Barbeau, uh, senior, uh, not junior. Um, he taught, uh, a class called, um, basically taught us a little bit about the Bredanko method. Um, which ah. is, that's what Taylor went to school there and was introduced to Tom through, uh, elbow issues. Um, and that's what both of our foundations come from, um, the Bredanko method from Igor Bredanko, uh, and, uh, I went on and worked under another master trainer down here in the Cape. Um, Taylor worked with Tom for a while and then uh, did his own thing. But um, that's our connection. 
Um, and I actually, I just bought a piece of property just down the road from where Tyler, Taylor and Tom live up in New Hampshire. It's nice. Congrats. It's yeah. <laughs> kind of like all the full circle type of thing. So that Prudenko method, that's a lot of those, like the low impact things. Like when you are posting things in the pool with like the elastic bands, is that kind of the, the framework of that? Or what, it, like, yeah, explain the Prudenko method in like a couple of sentences. Like how, what yeah. is it? Um, so the, the Brudenko method is um, a land and water approach to uh, kind of a balanced fitness. Um, it's based on principles kind of rather than rules. Found it by uh, Dr. Igor Badenka, who's out of Boston. Um, you know, his background is he's from uh, former Soviet Union. And um, he, like, he literally wrote all, like, the textbooks for physical ed- education um, in the Soviet Union. Uh, and it's, like, he was uh, a big integral part of their fitness and sport performance and Olympic-level athletes. And um, he got to start over in when he came over to the U S like he started working and doing rehab with all the, um, uh, the Patriots players, Lyman, I think it was, but it, you know, he worked with, uh, helped, uh, rehab like Kevin McHale, um, uh, Nancy Kerrigan, when she had that nasty accident, he would help her come back. So, well, uh, a lot of like Olympic level athletes he's worked with in the past, but, uh, his approach is kind of a land and land and water approach. Um, um, very movement based, um, focusing on all sorts of qualities. Um, you look at like six essential qualities is uh, balance, coordination, um, coordin- uh, balance, flexibility, coordination, endurance, speed, and strength. And really looking at um, setting those up um, as your foundation and then integrating them over time, refining them. Um, integrating with sports specific movement, but the real secret comes in the the pool, the deep water work. Um, That is, you know, it's far beyond just water running, but the properties of a pool are um, provide the opportunity for your body to have like increased circulation. Um, When you're just hanging there without the gravity allows your tendons and ligaments and soft tissues to just relax. Um, and then, you know, the best way I think I know how to describe it for like a runner or endurance athlete is, you know, your concept of, uh, you know, going on a recovery run or a flush out run where you're just trying to get your blood mm-hmm. moving, um, which is essentially the same concept as when I, when I go to do that work in, in the water, except when you're in land, there's still impact and you're still working in kind of one plane of motion and working select muscles. So when you're in the pool, we're in a flotation belt you can move around freely all sorts of directions uh fire all those muscles and kind of create that flush out and get that freedom of movement um with no impact and you you can kind of work hard in there and you you unload the body um you get things moving to get fluid moving and you know that's what recovery is and that's the very the most simplest you know kind of look at it of like what you're doing in the pool yeah i'm sure it can go a ton of different ways when talking about this method and like the 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 principles which i do kind of want to like double back on but when you're in when you're in that pool and you're doing those type of workouts is it then it it, does it become specifically about blood flow and just being able to engage different muscles or is there a cardio aspect to that or how does that or, or does it change based off of the goal that 
that you're preparing for. Yeah. And there's always a different focus in, in the water. Um, you know, I may do an endurance day and, if, you know, anybody's tried to, you know, uh, even just try to put a belt on and run in the water. Uh, so the cool thing about the water is there's, there's two main properties of it. It's, it's one, it's assisted, like you're floating, you're buoyant, especially when you wear a belt. But the second part of it is it provides a lot of resistance. The harder you move in the water, um, the more resistance the water provides. Uh, it's gradient that way. That's exactly. You take your hand and you're trying to just push it across the top of the water. You push your hand slow, it just kind of floats around. But if you try to move your hand fast, hmm. it's the density of water creates a lot of resistance. So there's a, um, you know, a very dynamic um, relationship between your body and the water um, with what it can provide you. But Tom Barbo Sr., like, he's the one who introduced us all to it, um, you know, and he, he has, like, if you want to see what it is, um, he does a great job of putting up workouts and videos every day. Um, as far as me, you know, I, I just, I learned, you know, the principles of the method, and I, the, the cool thing about it, it, it's not like, it's not a way of doing things. It's not like I do the Berdenko method all the time. It's, I learn the principles from it and I apply it to my training. Um, and the biggest takeaway that someone could, you know, listening to me of like, all right, like what can I do with this is, you know, my own personal experience. Um, right. So, you know, for myself as an athlete using the water, you know, the main focus is that <clears throat> working out in the water and doing the recovery in the water um, and just getting there in as many times as a week as I can what that like what I say is I recover hard so I can work out harder, I can train harder, and that's what it empowers me to do and you know for me personally, it's been the biggest game changer um or twofold one learning the pr- principles of the Berdanko method and basically you know and I, I sent it to you rich is is having this kind of this this outline of a pyramid of of building a base and building different qualities on top of one another, refining them, integrating them, applying the sports specific movement is allowed me to take um, a better approach to endurance sports um, and Mm -hmm. understanding, you know, it's, it's not all just about volume. It's not about, you know, I got to do this. It's it's appreciating that a lot of the little things matter of, of movement efficiency matters and, you know, being healthy matter and being recovered matter towards when it comes to performance. Um, and then as far as like doing all the recovery work and, and movement stuff is, you know, I came into, um, running obstacle course racing and, you know, now trail running, you know, so far behind everybody else because I played basketball and football. Um, and then I did nothing for a couple of years after college. Uh, I did not have an endurance engine and, um, you know, I might have, I think I have a lot of the skills and, and I might, you know, kind of genetically maybe have, you know, um, a, a higher ceiling than others. Um, but still, as a runner, you have to lay that foundation and you can only progress so much each year. Um, Hmm. so where that water work and that recovery work has aided me is that I jump up my volume a lot each year, uh, significantly. Um, I could probably show you, but it's over 20, 30, 40% from year to year. Um, 
and like, yeah, I run into a lot of brick walls sometimes. <laughs> like when you, when you jump up that much volume, it, it's, and still like my volume is nowhere close. Like I'm, I think total training hours is, are somewhere, uh, you know, of, of biking and running is somewhere around 500 hours. Um, a year. You know, a year this year. I mean, you're talking about, you know, professional, say sky runners that, you know, are, are between, you know, 700 and a thousand hours, which is, I mean, that's just ridiculous amount of hours. Same thing as like triathletes. Um, but you know, I bumped up from, I think I really started training in 2000, probably 18. Um, you know, I think I could actually pull it up for you, um, to give you guys like kind of a better sense of of numbers. But the idea is that I can kind of stretch these boundaries a little bit more if I'm taking care of my body and taking care of the, the tissues, because that's, you know, really, it's not your, it's not your um, energy systems that breaks down. It, it's literally the soft tissues, the ligaments, really the ligaments and tendons that, 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 that take the brunt of the load, you know, your muscles can adapt pretty quick, but those ligaments and tendons take a while to um, become resilient to, you know, pounding on them miles and miles and elevation gain and all the other stuff that goes into it. Yeah. And that's certainly what I found as, in, as I'm getting older and training more that like, it is just the, the ligaments and the soft tissue stuff. And that is typically the way that is what's going to delay my ability to keep going hard Yeah. with when you're doing a lot of the, the, the movement based stuff or the pool oriented stuff. Is it, does it have a restorative quality or is it more replacing something that might be damaging and just, and, and giving you the benefit of, all the, all the things you talk about with the pool, with the resistance and the, the movement practice, or does there seem to be like a restorative practice? Like, do you get out of the pool and feel better? Yeah. So <laughs> that is, you know, the biggest probably takeaway I could give to somebody is the reason why I do all this stuff. It's not because someone told me to do it or because, you know, I, I read all the research, like that's all there. Yes. But it's just, when I work out in the pool, I come out and I feel like a gazillion dollars. Like it feels good. And that's why I enjoy doing it. Um, but it is twofold. Like uh, say last, um, like last Friday, I was supposed to do a strength session and I was dealing with my knees were bothering me or something. So, you know, rather than, you know, going lifting kettlebells, I went into the shallow water of the pool with um I have a thing called a Berdanko belt. Basically, it's literally a weightlifting belt with tubing attached to the feet and, and hands just through loops, no fancy straps or anything. And I did, you know, all my movement as far as, you know, RDLs and single leg squats and, um, you know, kind of movements with the body in the shallow end and, and supplemented that. And that's, you know, when I'm not feeling good on land, I'll just go in the water. Um, or like the other day, um, I think I needed to do a more of like an intensity cardiovascular session and uh, you know, my hip wasn't feeling great or I just didn't feel like working out on land. And um, you know, I attached, I posted a video the other day of, you know, long tubing, um, surgical tubing, elastic tubing attached to my ankles running in the deep water with that attached. So um, that was a, a real more of like an anaerobic stimulus. It's, it's really hard to do. And I could supplement those, the water and land. Um, but I mean, I mean, don't, you can't like, (laughs) you can't just work out on the water the rest of your life and not do the hard running. But you know, you know, every day, like there's days you get out there and you just feel like shit, I don't feel good, but I really need to get out there. Um, you know, this allows you to say, you know, I really should get out there. I'm not feeling good. I'm probably going to do more harm than do good 
running or lifting, like, let me just, you know, it's not the same, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm adding more to my repertoire than I would, you know, rather than taking away, trying to force myself through something. Totally. Or just taking like a day off or, or yeah, doing more harm than good. Like you said, cause that's where people will run into those brick walls that you had mentioned where it's like, I need to get this or I'm going to lose some fitness. And it's just like this constant battle for people to like figure out when to chill out and when to yeah. kind of keep moving. And I mean, I, I feel bad for everybody who's come from endurance running as like a background because I can only imagine you know, you, you, you trust hitting certain numbers in workouts and you trust hitting certain volume. Um, that's where I feel lucky not coming from endurance because when I first started racing, um, you know, I was, I mean, <laughs> I think 2017 and 18 when I was racing, I was running, I don't know, between two and 15 miles a week. <laughs> two. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's, it's I had a two mile run on a beach that I do like one, one, two, three days times a week. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, but I, I, I understood that when you come into a race, if you're fully um, rested and recovered, and you can dump everything out on a race course. Um, and, and this is more so for OCR than, it, than running. Um, I think it, it, it just, because of different variables, it, it, it applies to that, is that you can reach a pretty high, basically hit your potential at that, that given time. Um, so again, over time, coming starting at that point, it's allowed me to have a different mindset in that, I'm not always worried about hitting that volume all the time or hitting that specific workout or worrying about it. I'm more worried about, all right, trusting that year over year I'm hitting, I'm getting better because my volume's increasing, right? And that I'm taking care of myself. And I mean, I know going into a race this year that my training volume has increased, my intensities have increased and I'm healthy and I'm going to be faster than I was last year. Um, now that's kind of a privilege I have not coming from endurance sports because, you know, the, the, the learning curve, I still haven't reached that plateau yet. Right. And that's something that I know I've battled with quite a bit is figuring mm-hmm. is like letting the pacing of things go mm-hmm. and like needing these markers that I, that in like a previous competitive life mattered to me, like they don't matter anymore. Yeah, you know, exactly. But like it, it's still there. It's like, oh, but when I was doing exposition or when I could run this this pace, it means I could perform at at a certain level. Yeah, and that's uh, you know that's what's different about running or um, you know ro- road running sports or some trail, but to obstacle course racing is that the the pacing doesn't matter. And you know, pumping up as a runner, you really need to hit those specific workouts and volume because. Your uh, a running race is basically the same effort from start to finish, and you have to be very comfortable with that. And it's just like, um, you know, a football player, you know, pumping weight during the season because one, they, well, they're trying to maintain mass, but two, they're trying to feel strong and maintain that kind of neural stimulus. And if you lose that, you feel flat for a race. But mm-hmm. in obstacle course racing, that I mean, you, you do have to hit your workouts and volume to a certain extent, but you also just you know, there's no pacing strategy. The one thing I tell, I try to like teaching clients early on and trying to change their mindset on training and racing is that 
you know, the biggest difference is you start a running race, you accelerate once and you stop once. In obstacle course racing, that's happening, you know, with obstacles alone, 20 times a race, like literally a dead stop to fully accelerating. And then, you know, the terrain is mixing in there. And that's just, that's a whole different type of, of skill set, mindset. And you have to be ready to put out a, an, a hard effort an entire race, you know, and, and varying that effort. And that's, that's where it's, our sport is so, 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 so different. Or even, even sometimes when you get into the mountain running, that's why mountain running is so different than, um, at least mountain running and kind of the Northeast technical stuff is so different than, you know, any other sport. Um, it's just the effort required to put in is, is in a whole different level. So, when the roadrunner does come out, right? And like to 5k, mm. they, that first acceleration, it's like, okay, if I need to get to five thirties per mile, look at my watch, I'm there within 200 meters and just like yeah. sit there. And if you follow your training and everything's hit well, you'll know by that two and a half mile mark that it's going to be almost all out. And then that you're really going to have to push into that and into the beyond potentially, if you're going to run like your best race. So from your perspective, when pacing's out, out the window in obstacle course racing how do you determine where your like perceived effort is on the course so you that you know that like you're dumping it all out there um that that changes uh i think race to race depending if you're talking about a flatter course or you know a more mountainous course now if you're talking about a flatter course you know like a jacksonville there's there's two ways to approach it um you know with with a, a client, I, and I guess I do this to myself too, is you, you first have to, you have to have a history of racing and kind of understand where you stack up against the competition. It's, it's, you really can't look at, you know, I want to finish here X, Y, and Z. It's, you know, you have to look at who you race against typically. All right. And, you know, for someone, you know, more of a, you know, an amateur racer, uh, you know, a novice is just saying, all right, like this guy, I, tend to go back and forth with and um and hopefully find a group of them of those athletes so that you know at a certain part of the race you know maybe maybe it's after a sandbag carry and you're super tired super gassed and you see you know those guys that you normally compete with kind of pulling away from you you, you should have a good sense that you know my capabilities are on par with them i sh- you know because that's a weird thing about obstacle course racing is that everything feels hard you know, right. it, 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 that's like you, you, you may feel like you're dead, but you know, you're going to feel like you're dead the whole time. So it's like how to <laughs> yeah. determine like where you're pushing too hard. So that's how I try to work through with, with, with clients or even myself at times with, with different races, so, you know, kind of pick out where you, where you sit in that field and, um, you know, use that as a marker of, you know, kind of pacing yourself. Um, for me personally, I'm like a flatter course. Um, I, I do look at, at pacing, um, but it's more so of, I know I'm capable of just numbers. Say I, I know I'm capable of, on like, uh, we hit a 200 meter stretch of running that I know I can hit a, say a five thirty pace when I'm dead tired, no matter what. And just keeping myself accountable that I'm accelerating in and out of obstacles and that, all right, you know, you're not going to average that pace, but like, you know, you keep an eye on your watch and seeing like, all right, am I, am I running as fast as I can? Um, yeah, I like that strategy. And that's something I, I've 
tried the past couple of years as well, like coming out of an obstacle and then hitting the lap button just so I can see what that pace looks like for the same reason, like holding it accountable. But I, it, it, I like that, you know, using the competition as kind of your marker because that really is the only like quantifiable measure we have. It, it is. And that's like, you can talk about pace or whatever else you want, but like, you're never having going to have consistency of a pace during a race. Uh, you can you can try to look at heart rate if you can wear a heart rate monitor. Um, breathing is probably the best best gauge of just making sure you're you're regulating to a certain extent. Um, but you, that's our our obstacle course racing is 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 a really the true sense of racing um, where there's moves to be made. There's so many variables that factor in that it's, it's a competitive thing. Someone makes a move, you got to make a counter move. Um, And that's what you don't, I think that's where pure runners come into the sport struggle um, because they're not used to that kind of back and forth and the, the battle that's out there and kind of the mind games that um, are involved. Now, you know, it's not the same as a basketball game of, every second you're trying to like out strategize someone else, but there's more strategy involved in uh, this type of racing than I think other types of endurance sports. There, there is like a considerable amount, right? And that's something with you that I've noticed and just kind of what I've been able to see firsthand or, or just the approach that you have versus a lot of the other competitors is that it seems like you are, you have thought or you're, you are thinking on the course about what's like the most, the most advantageous thing to do in that moment. And like, you know, there's so, someone else who's like that is like Hobie, right? Like Hobie call, like yeah. he was, is like an innovator and like you kind of do those same things where it's like, well, what happens if I try this and then you'll do it like depending on like where you are in the race. And yeah, it's getting more that way. Like I said, with building the endurance volume for myself personally, like when I first started racing, it was just put everything guts out on the line from start to finish. And you kind of just hang on for dear life. As my, you know, in, in, engines improved, I've had the ability to, you know, make a certain move in the race at a certain given time, you know, hopefully calculating that. Um, but it's still not to the point, like the best example is Jacksonville last year where, you know, I, I made some slip ups, um, on some of the obstacles early. And then it was like trying to play catch up with Atkins. And my biggest mistake was running him down after the spear throw and trying to put the pedal down and tried to break him a little bit yet, but he hadn't put in the same effort. And then mm-hmm. he ended up breaking me. I just, kind of dropped, you know, I left no gas in the tank, but, um, yeah, I mean, obstacle racing is about that. You gotta, you gotta, you got to be prepared. All right. You have to have some sort of game plan going in, but you also have to understand uh, uh, once you get out there is that you have to be willing to adapt on the fly and kind of, you got to be comfortable with racing. And that's it is no matter what plan I have going in, once you get past that first two to five minute mark, depending on the distance of the race, you kind of just settle in and then you, you know, the race is on and you're trying to, make as little mistakes as possible at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the, the area where you're at, like any mistake is going to co- be costly. So what is it like when you're game planning or if you're like, say you're taking an athlete through a, a, a course plan or something or some sort mm-hmm. of race plan for them. Like, is there a certain process that you would roll through with them or yourself? What does that look like? 
Well, the, like I said it earlier, the, the first process is determining who you're going to race with, who can you race mm. with. And that may be bumping up to the, the next level. Um, and that started like my brother and I, my brother started this years ago is kind of making a, like I started with a list of people I wanted to compete with and be, and then try to prepare for that. Um, like 2019, you know, Woods was, you know, kind of because of the way the course is set up, he was very hard to beat. So my focus was like, can I run with Woods just flat out? Like, that's it. If I can run with Woods, the rest is going to kind of take care of itself. And that's, um, I, I think what you got to look at is, is your, your strengths and weaknesses, um, who you're competing along, but also of your competition, who's going to excel at certain courses or certain aspects of the course. Hmm. Um, you know, some people go out super hot and you may want to hang with them, but if that's not your strategy, maybe it's the person who goes out a little bit slower and, you know, maybe that's your game plan is to tag on them. But it's just uh, look, looking at, at yourself. And I think I picked this up from a triathlete coach, and I, I don't like the term weaknesses, um, but identify limiters. Um, so, you know, go through your upcoming course and determine, you know, one, what you're good at. But, but the second is, all right, what's going to keep you from racing with X person or what's going to keep you from finishing in certain time? Um, and that's, uh, it's, I think it's a better mental way to approach thing. I think when you, when you use the term weakness, especially with clients, like you tell them they're weak at something, <laughs> you don't really want to hear that. And it's just kind of a mindset thing and just kind of reworking that to, Hey, like, let's just look at this race and be straightforward and with it. And like, what's going to limit you from reaching the goal you want to. And that may be, you know, climbing legs that may be not accelerating in and out of obstacles that may be downhill speed and identify and work on one of those, you know, um, you know, one at a time in training, but also I I think identifying them and focusing on them mentally during a race is is probably the the most important part. Um, You know, and the best example is I hear so many freaking podcasts and, I won't put names out there, but there's so many excuses that get thrown out there. Well, if I didn't, if I didn't mess up on the Z wall or if I didn't go two seconds slower, I would have won the race. Or if, you know, I had someone call it that I went too slow at a certain part of race and it was my fault that they didn't win the race. And it's like, no, like you're the one who fucked this up. You're the one who didn't get better at that. You're the one who went slow at that. Why don't you identify that as, you know, limiter and, and moving on. And it's, it really is a fine line. There's so many people that make excuses and it's, you have to identify things, identify the why, but not say, if I did that, I would again, there's too many of those ifs. You just say, well, that was a limiter for me. All right, let's put that in the the training log. Let's go after that. Not, oh, if I did that, I would have won the, that's not how it works. Like if I hit that spear, I would have won. If I like, right. no, it's obstacle course racing guys. It's not running. <laughs> These things That's like, uh, roll. I can't lie. I used to use that when I started in like 2016, early 2017, I would, I would think that a lot. And then eventually I was like, well, this is the sport we're doing. It's yeah. like, it's like, I would be great at basketball if I could <laughs> dribble and shoot better, but the dribbling and the shooting. can't. It is. It, it's like, and I'm, I'm not trying to, pick on anybody it's just it's it's the sport it is and i I don't know yeah i'm not sure sure why it's like that but um 
you, you yeah. can't you can't have that mindset at all. So yeah, you're kind of talking about like the ownership of things and really yeah. seeing what you can do and what, how you can tangibly change that. And there must have been a point for you at during this training process. And you mentioned how you've kind of ramped up volume, and you talked about how you ran two to 15 miles for, for a while. Like what was, what was that like when you decided that was that kind of like an ownership piece as well? It's like, okay, I need to do more. Was there a switch that turned uh, for you? No. Um, well I couldn't run because I had hip surgery. Um, oh. so like, so it wasn't I, like, I, like eh, I'm just going to get through it. I, you were actually, I was like, like I was like, you know, in pain, crying at night in tears because my <laughs> hips aching so bad. Um, That's <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, but I did, I think early on, as a lot of people did, I, I didn't want to, like, I really didn't want to become a runner. I didn't like the, the thought of being a, a, a quote unquote runner. Like I wanted to be an obstacle course I just wanted to be a strong kid. Like, yeah. and I think it was, I'm trying to remember now, I think it was in the, the tail end of 2018, I started to, um, I, I think in, in, Enjoy running more. Um, I actually like enjoyed it, <laughs> and uh, maybe that probably yeah. So that probably was was a switch. Um, getting more into mountain running the past two years now was big for me because um, I guess I still don't love to to just to run. Like some people just love to run no matter what. It's just get out and run. Um, I enjoy the. It, it, I think the venture aspect of it. Um, and I think that's why I got into obstacle course racing and that's what opened the door to this other side of running for me. Um, is that I enjoyed, you know, the challenge of going after a big adventure, getting to the top of the mountain, um, you know, just getting lost and, you know, new trails, um, and getting, I guess, more into trail running was kind of that, uh, opened the door for me to enjoy the process some more. Um, and just continue to uh, add on that volume. So along those lines, I noticed in, in 2020, I had Aaron Newell on right after you guys did that wacky thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and and so that that is very much along those adventure lines. And yeah. It's just going and, and even further, right? Like the things we do on a super in whatever, Palmerton, like, yeah, those are extreme, but like taking it, beyond those physical limits uh into like the mental territory is like what that ultra stuff is looking like yeah um, do you foresee that like what like first what was the thing uh, you were there in? so it was it was called the vermont 4000ers and i guess to give you kind of a like how this all came about is like i really had no interest to go on after these fkts um that wasn't ever a thing i did but um josh fiore introduced me to a rundown in boston it's called the, it's the blue skill, blue Hill skyline traverse. And it's like this, it's just crazy, like just completely straight up, straight down Rocky. It's like running on a mountain ridgeline, literally five miles outside of the center of Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and he brought that on, brought me on that like years ago, like the first long run of like more than eight miles I'd ever done. And he told me like this guy, I think it was Ben nephew finished it in, you know, two hours or something. And I was just like, what? Like, no way. So it like was a goal of mine for the past like three, four years. Like, all right, like I just, I'd like to go out and see if I could do that and to see if like I'm worth anything running a little bit longer. And I mean, it, it's, it's 15 miles in like 
3,600 feet of climbing. Like it's, it's up and down. It's not going up a mountain, but it's, it's pretty rugged. Um, so that's actually the first thing I went after this year. And I, uh, get his time and I'm like, all right, like the next thing I wanted to go after just to see if I could do it was, um, the presidential traverse. Uh, it was mm. one of the big FK Atkins had it for a while. And then a, a kid from my high school has it now, which is anybody know it's, you know, it's 18 miles, eight, 8,500 feet of climbing. It, it's serious. It, it's serious. And like, I wasn't not, not wanting to go after it to get the record, but just to see if I could run that far. <laughs> I, before this year, I'd never run more than 15 miles in my life. Hmm. Um, and uh, so that was kind of on the docket. And then for some reason this Vermont 4,000ers thing just like kind of spurred my interest and I wasn't sure if I was going to do it. And I was talking to Aaron one day on the phone. He's like, yeah, I've been thinking about a deal. Let's do it. I'm like, all right, like put a date on the calendar. Let's go. And honestly, if he didn't say he wanted to do it with me, I definitely wasn't going to do it by myself. But um, the Vermont 4000ers is it's uh, you start in northern Vermont and you're, you're basically summiting um, the the four or five 4,000 foot peaks of Vermont. All right. There's only a few of them. There's basically one ridge line that goes down Vermont. And so you're running up the mountains, running down, and you're connecting each mountain uh, via bike down this uh, road called Route 100. It basically goes down the heart of Vermont. It's just beautiful road. It's very, it's, it's very aesthetic. Um, so it's uh, about 100 miles biking and about 22 to 26 miles of running, depending on the route you take. Uh, I think uh, I forget 8,000 feet of climb up. Uh, biking elevation gain and was it 10,000 feet of climbing um which is cool like we were pretty fit for it but we as i think he probably shared with you <clears throat> it was like a record high in vermont in the month of may like mm. we're leading up to it and they're like they're saying it's going to be super hot and aaron's like do you want to push us off i'm like no dude like we're good like it's may like how hot could it be and that's really our mindset we had during the whole thing and we were we were on the verge of heat stroke. We probably had heat stroke, um, but it hit like a Mount Mansfield, the northern peak that we started at. It hit mm. ninety five or ninety eight degrees that day, which was a record all time high in the state of Vermont. Not, not not for the month of May, all year round. It had never gone that hot before. That is the hottest it's, it's ever. That <laughs> one day, oh man, we got done and like. I, we got the record, but like it was, it was so much longer than it took us probably two hours longer than we were expecting it to take. And oh, wow. uh, we barely ate food when we got back to the house. And we both like, we just felt like shit for like two or three weeks after. And like, we like that day and the day after we didn't really acknowledge that we had heat stroke. And then <laughs> looking back at it, like we got, we were really messed up for a while from it. Um, so that was probably the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life, honestly. Like, it was a blast. <laughs> if you ever want to do something, like, ultra adventurous, like, do with Aaron because he's just – he's fun and super positive um, to do things with. <laughs> and he's done so many that, like, he just, like, learned what it's – how oh, to, like, yeah. navigate when things feel terrible. That's what, I have no idea what I'm doing as far as pacing or anything. So I'm like, Aaron, you just go. I'll follow you. Like, uh, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Did you like it? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, had a, I, I had a blast. It was a lot of fun. Um, 
I think I, I, probably coming from the hip injury, like, well, like one of my biggest limiters sometimes is pain. And then that's what I get scared of with this ultra distance and ultra time type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like in that day I felt great and, uh, figure out nutrition is probably the hardest part. Um, I, I have low blood sugar naturally. So like I'm just naturally, I got to eat a lot. I have to take my, keep my sugar levels high. Otherwise I like when I crash, like I, like I'm dysfunctional, like my head doesn't work. I can't see clearly like things just get wonky. So that is the biggest challenge for me doing these longer durations is just finding a way to fuel, um, especially not like knowing my body well enough for that long stuff and never mm-hmm. do that before. Like, you know, what do I eat? And that's like, that's tough. Yeah. Cause you have to, you have to do it, right? Like, yeah, you have to like practice and see how things are going to work and have things go terribly wrong sometimes. And, uh, and it's just kind of navigating as it goes. So you, you don't foresee, uh, 24 hour races. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know. Probably. I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> Can't rule them out. Uh, I mean, I think I'd like to do a couple. It just depends. Um, when they like, I would have loved to do like the Killington ultra beats last year. If it happened, um, world's tough of smutter. It definitely excites me, but I just know myself well enough that I also don't do well with lack of sleep, sleep deprivation. Mm. And I know like if I'm just up late, you know, on one weekend night, like to say, I, you know, had to drive somewhere and I'm up to like two, three AM. I got to get up at six. Like I'm wrecked for the next couple of days. And mm. I can only imagine how I'd feel, you know, running all night. Um, so that's yeah. Like, <laughs> so then, yeah. You got to like, same thing. It's like, you don't know. Cause you yeah. practice that. Yeah. You're just gonna have to yeah and that's like that. the hardest thing about racing OCR is that like, there's so many freaking races that if you want to be competitive, you, you gotta do and to try to fit something in that doesn't necessarily fit in your wheelhouse like that. And you might come out completely destroyed is like, when is there time for that? And I, I don't know. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like we can necessarily do that anymore. Like the sport is getting, there's enough depth and there people are becoming a little bit more specialized or they know where they want to kind of go more as opposed mm-hmm. to maybe three or four years ago where everybody could just do all of the things just because it was out there. But yeah. now like, you probably have to pick a focus if you really want to, um, to excel the most. Is, is this a conversation you're having with athletes that you're coaching as well? Like how do you, because like, because that's what I found sometimes can be a struggle that it just ends up being kind of regional and whatever's around is what the races end up being that people who are maybe competing at age group or open waves or even, you mm-hmm. know, elite waves, they just kind of need to do whatever's close. So if Vernon's in April, they're doing Vernon. And then if city fields in May, they're doing city field and like, they're not necessarily. Yeah. So I have like, I have such a wide range of clients. Like I have clients that are competing for top 10 of us national series. And I have cl- clients that like just do, sometimes they just do open wave races and they like say going out and doing Killington and they, their goal is just to do well for themselves at, at Killington. But I think the, the common thread of all of them is that there are so many races available is that they always like, Hey, this is what I want to do this year. I'm like, Whoa, like actually <laughs> this one client or potential client that uh, I did a consult with, uh, there's some female and she goes, um, Hey, like I want to do this, this, and this, and this. I'm like, wait, can you just, that's a lot. Send me a schedule. She had, I think 48 races scheduled 
or something throughout the year. Like literally racing every week, almost every weekend and most of the weekends, like twice a weekend. And I'm like, I, I'm sorry. Like I can't coach you like this. Uh, <laughs> there's no coaching involved here. Like you got to go sit in a bathtub and like recover, like and just rest and watch TV like every day. Right. You're good. Um, but yeah, the, you know, I think everybody wants to do too much. So we, we look at, you know, what, what you want to accomplish. Um, but also what, what are you going to gain from this, um, racing? Um, and also what it, it excites you. So like, I guess on the higher level is someone doing say, um, you know, wants to do the national series, like, and say like la- the beginning of last year, a concept of like all five races counted. Great. Mm-hmm. You want to do that, but like if you finished 11th, anywhere between, you know, say six through 15th in the national series, um, what does that gain you? Um, you know, if, if maybe it's a sense of accomplishment, like, Hey, I'm ranked this. I don't know if that outweighs the expenses it costs to go there. And maybe the, uh, the cost of, of forcing too many races in and not focusing on one race, like, wouldn't it be better just like to go all out for one race and really find out what you're made of? Um, that's why I, I think in, especially in Spartan racing, there's, there's too much of, Hey, look at me, 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 look at what I did. Look at me as a, as a quote unquote pro look at as me as quote unquote elite. Look at as me as ranked here. And what do all those mean? Um, hmm. they're, they're, a lot of the stuff is just, they're just numbers. Like, and they, I think if you really look at it as, um, like what that athlete's actually trying to accomplish and what are they going to feel good about? Like, are they just worried about the superficial things? And that's most people are. And it's, I think it's the responsibility as a coach of, Hey, let's take this superficial aspect out of there. And what are you actually going after? What do you, what do you actually want to feel at the end of the year? What do you want to, your fitness to be like, what's really tangible that we can go after? Um, and yeah, that, and, that, and that's a hard question, hard conversation to have with people, um, you know, and, and push some of that stuff aside. Yeah, because it is like digging beyond what the number is going to give you. So, okay, say you do get fifth in your age group U.S. National Series, like you have this number now, but like, like why do you want that number? And then, like, is it what's what? What is the is it like the self worth behind it? And then, like if you can kind of explore those aspects, then you are able to actually make an impact where it's like chasing the numbers. It's like there that's fleeting. It's fleeting it, for the athlete as well. It is. And it, it, it goes back to talking about like, not like the goal shouldn't always be finished on the podium or this, it should be finding that person that is of similar caliber and trying to beat that. And, you know, I, um, and I'm, I'm preaching this, but at the same time, I went through this myself. Like I never competed in the national series until I knew I could compete for the top three in 2019. Like I went to races and I competed and tried to see where my benchmark was, but I never committed to going across the country to all the races until I knew like, all right, there's a reason I'm doing this. Um, You know, I competed in some of the stadium series back in the day because living in the Northeast, they happen to all be my backyard and the same thing with the mountain series. Like they happen to be the races that were within driving distance anyway. So I just 
you know, it's a race I'm going to do. Sure. I'll, I'll go after it, but you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think you, you really have to weigh out, you know, what's important to you. And there's, you know, Spartan does a really good job of building up of, you know, qualifying and doing this, which is gamify it. It is. They do gamify it, which is cool. I mean, I, I literally, I've had clients in the past that their goal was to accumulate trifectas and, but that was, they literally cared about that. That wasn't a super, like they really just, they enjoyed doing that and that's it. And so we helped them with that. Right. And that's probably the same for the prospective client who wants to do 48 races. Like I want to see if I can race 48 races. <laughs> yeah. I want to see if I can do 50 races. And it's like, or just yeah. being around the events. Like, like to me, that's insanity. But like, yes, like that is still it's, a goal. You know, it's great. It's yeah. awesome. It's just, you yeah. don't, you don't need a coach to do that because that coach right. isn't going to be able to help you with anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, no, I mean, they will, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, What's that process look like on your end? Are you like when you start to look at a year, like, and like when you're plotting out a season, what does the goal setting look like? Um, You know, I always pick a races um, that uh, I really would like to do good at and try to structure, you know, a, a, a training block around that. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I still, I still taper for all the other races I might do, but, um, you know, the, the bulk of the training is going to be focused towards, um, you know, say, um, for example, uh, was it two years ago when West Virginia was the, um, North American championship? I wanted to do really good at that, but we had, uh, OCR Norm champs two weeks before that. And I think it couple other races before that like like Utah yeah yeah, I still wanted to do those races but you know I want it like the goal was kind of to build the volume for the longer races kind of hit intensities for those races um but uh you know it 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 changes depending on the year and the schedule um and what you want to go after uh do do you have that part that's beyond say the accomplishment right like you mentioned getting the top three at the u.s national series you felt like you could do it you went after it and you did it like right like and that was mm-hmm. like the accomplishment of like training to that point and and uh, and succeeding and putting in the hard work do you also do the digging behind you like do you have like a personal like why you wanted to get top three at the u.s national series i'm very competitive <laughs> it's, it's like i need to um yeah me personally like i'm i'm just an ultra competitive person um and also i saw you know and this is much different than most the clients i work with and most people is that i saw an opportunity in my life to do well at something like everybody loves to win like that's always kind of a motivation if you're capable of doing that like that was a that's a big motivator for me if you're really good at something you want to do it um so there's that but i also saw the opportunity to do it as a partial career um and that's what like going into 2019 um i I have worked for myself for i don't know eight years now um but i kind of dropped a lot of my clients in the gym just worked up with online clients and uh, i combined that I also, I come from a construction background and we, me and my fiance flip over houses. So there was an opportunity to kind of not really 
have a schedule of, hey, I need to work with clients now. I can work on a house and train full time for racing. And nice. I and I basically there we had the conversation of, hey, like I'm gonna come out in Jacksonville and I don't have to win the race, but if I can't compete for the podium and and that's not like coming in on the tail end for fourth, fifth, or third place. That's can I come in and actually battle for the top, say, two spots? Um and if I couldn't do that, you know, I wasn't going to take it, I, I guess, I, I guess what you call professionally um, and pursue sponsorship opportunities and pursue like really taking this seriously. Um, and so I went after that and found out that race and kind of the rest of the year that, you know, if I continued to build, like there's an opportunity in this sport to make some money. There's an opportunity to, um, and beyond that, a lot of the coaching for me and when I coached basketball was to help younger kids and to inspire them and basically be a, a role model for them and, and give them some of the um, kind of look to as an, I, I guess, as an example of, you know, how to do this or that. And, and, and more, I think it's more of like inspiring them to go after like your dreams and, and outdoor activity and being healthy and fit because you know, when you're, when you're coaching and, and you know, this coaching or I'm working in the gym with clients, it's like, you're telling them to do stuff all the time. And it, it works to the, to the ones that are receptive, but not that's a very small percentage, honestly, that, that want coaching and that are receptive to that. Um, and I found, you know, if I can do this kind of on a hmm. career stage is that I can have a much bigger impact on, Kind of influencing people just to you know get outdoors and pursue things and um it, it turned into that like even like i have family members that ask me for more advice now on their health and training than they did when i was just strictly a coach um and it's, it's kind of like funny how that works but yeah it's uh, like oh because now i run fast in these races <laughs> now you want it exactly and i just you know so i saw you know, an opportunity. And, and this what you go back to trying to uh, structure goals for clients is, you know, what opportunity are, are we looking to go after here? Um, mm -hmm. You know, whether it's making friends or doing well, or, you know, motivating your training um, is, is there's, there's gotta be some sort of opportunity ahead of you. Um, but, but mine were inspiring. I saw an opportunity to make some money and an opportunity to, I guess, push the envelope in, in, in the sport. And um, hopefully, you know, I, I think you do that until you can't do it anymore. Um, and we've had no opportunity to do that. This year. <laughs> right. You got to take advantage of that window when it's open. So like, yeah. that's, yeah, that is awesome. Because like, that's kind of, I was asking, it's like, yeah, like you're competitive. A lot of people are competitive, right? Yeah. But like when it's, when it boils down to literally inspiring others, to take their health into their hands or to push to go after what they want to do and to like live as an, as an example, like that to me seems like a much heavier motivator to like perform well than just like wanting to win. Yeah. And I, I think you also, it, there has to be, it has to be organic and natural. It can't be forced, you know, mm. um, you know, that there's, you can't force yourself as, a quote unquote influencer or motivator or inspiration. Like you, you are, or you are not. And I'm no one's really special. You know, I have very small social following compared to, you know, 
influencers, I guess, quote, unquote. But for me, it really starts with my friends and family and the kids I used to coach and um, the people I interact with. And it's on a, on a very, you know, small level. And if anybody else can, you know, gain some inspiration from that, fantastic. But, you know, it's not, I think it, it, it starts from, you know, what, like, what, where do you sit? Is the opportunity there naturally? And don't feel like you're, a, you know, a special, like you're, you're the special person that needs to inspire the world. Like, no, I'm not like a motivational speaker or any of that. Like I'm not inserting myself into, um, you know, seminars. It's just, you know, I saw an opportunity and I, I wanted to, you know, pursue it. And also part of it selfishly just going after. <laughs> Sweet being a pro athlete. Um, <laughs> but, but like, yeah, the, the idea of like an influencer, right? Like it just sucks that that term exists. I know it does. It's, it's so fake. It's just not a real thing. Yeah. It's like people who want to, to who th- who can kind of like convince themselves that they are doing well for the world by inspiring others to live their lives. They're just curating a life that they think that would be attractive to someone mm-hmm. else. Yeah. Or like in your, in your case, you have the opportunity to go after things and like live life on your terms and then be a professional athlete and like touching people for real and like showing the results to have that. Um do you think like that? And like, plus your livelihood's at stake now. <laughs> like you, you rent and, like, <laughs> and you mentioned you have a fiance. So like, yeah, it matters but, as well. And that's, let me make this very clear is that I, I guess you consider my, you know, I'm professional in sport. I make money from sponsors. I make money from, um, um, prize money and I make enough money to pay bills. But I also, like I said, I, I have a coaching business to supplement right. that. I you also, just, uh, right. yeah, I, I'm, well, I could, but it wouldn't be very comfortable. Um, I also, I, I, we last house we lived in, we lived in for two years, and I worked, you know, eight hours a day on top of training, renovating the house myself to turn it over for a profit, which was, you know, my my income for those two years. Hmm. Um, so there's, yeah, you, know, you, you can't especially in this sport, you can't just kind of drop everything and go after it. (laughs) There's very select few who um, can do that. And it's truthfully, it's not strictly based on performance. It's based on um, your timing of the sport. Like a lot of the the athletes that were good um, before I was good and have a world title early on, that was in the NBC days. And that was in, you know, much different days where Spartan was promoting different things to them days where one, they had their social medias were able to skyrocket from TV exposure. Um, and they had the opportunity to make, make money, uh, other ways through sponsors. Um, mm-hmm. and it's just, you got, you got to weigh out those opportunities and you know, see what you can or can't do. But right now, like the only thing you can do is really just push is push the top competitors, right? It's to go out yeah. and perform as well as yeah. you can. Like there's no mm-hmm. other option. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's the bottom line. And I, I hope people, I hope we continue to have competitors come out, um, you know, especially with what's going on. And I continue to hope that there is more, um, the, the riches in the sport, uh, filter down a little bit, not to be greedy, but to provide an opportunity for, other athletes to be more attracted to this and, 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 and see the opportunity that, all right, like I can, 
I can take my I can take my my blows early on in a career and still right. you know make some some revenue at this and to continue because you know it's it's like it's got to be so hard for you know a professional athlete in a different endurance venture to want to come into our sport get the shit beat out of them because they're just they're not going to do well at this point and then say yeah I'm going to con- continue doing this silly mud running sport, make, <laughs> right. make no money and beat the crap out of my body. Just so, you know, someday I might be able to. <laughs> like, uh, uh. Yeah. I think about this a lot. I like, and it's something that, um, you know, trying to figure out how to get even the athletes who are below like your level currently, like kind of like where I am right now. I'm like, how can I get like, better results to then push the athletes to the top in order to like make this, to get better results, results for the sport as a whole. Right. And like, and, and make it more compelling and like figuring out like how the results that the athletes can get can then trickle down and, and make it to the outside world. But like how, how, when you, when you think about this, how do you foresee that playing out? Do you see a path where this does extend into or like attracts younger athletes or like, what do you think? Um, I don't know because the the racing is interesting in this in this especially in our country with Spartan racing being the primary uh, you know um, arena is that it was like for me it was attractive early on because it was it was raw as heck you know it was just it was a different type of sport. Um, so I'm not sure, like what attracts people to it now um, that are outside of it that don't see like as an outside athlete like what's the opportun what what's their opportunity in this 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 venue, um, hmm. you know if they're not going to, I I don't know it, it's really challenging I, I think it's, um, you know as far as the, that I guess between the tiers is starting to understand. And I think like listen to different podcasts, people are getting a better grasp of what it takes to succeed and train properly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, 5k times don't really fucking matter. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. You gotta be quick, but like that athlete isn't necessarily going to be the best in sport and starting to articulate like, you know, what is training for the sport that, Hey, you have to have a massive aerobic engine volume matters. You have to be athletic. Um, you have to be strong enough. And the most important thing of all of them is that you have to combine all these things into this, uh, into a fluency that, you know, you can move smoothly through a course without hiccups and the challenge. Cause I mean, that's, you, you look at these races, um, you know, for me, 90% of the guys that are finishing after me are faster than me. 90% of them put in more volume than me. Um, but there is, there is something that is separating, you know, me from them. Hmm. Um, and you know, what is that? You know, is it because I recover better? Is it because I'm tapered better for a race? Is it, is it, I'm mentally stronger? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, there's, but there is something, there is a clear something that separates that group of 
A racers from everybody else. Um, mm-hmm. And like we all know, there's there's a fine line. Maybe it's just a, a mental commitment of believing that you can compete with that. Um, I, I'm not really sure, uh, you know, what that is. And I think that's I, I think us every coach in this sport should be investigating that that it that may be chalked up to uh, grit. I think that's like a term you kind of use. That's the term. Yeah. Yeah. Like what is, what is that grit? Uh, what is that, you know, fluency that, that separates different and not even just the top, like that's what separates every single different tier of, of athletes is, is there's, there is something about our sport and it's tough because there's no physiological test that can tr- like that are designed specifically for our sport. You know, we, we, as coaches, we take from all different other sports that have been established for so long. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether it's you know concepts for uh, you know triathletes or uh, mountain bike racers or just ultra runners, whatever it may be. Like all those concepts are kind of blended into our sport, but our sport is so young that there none of it necessarily is coming out of our sport nothing's proven right there's not yeah. and that that, that kind of reminds me like the parallel that is easy for me to draw is like maybe because it came out at similar times is like how crossfit's like growth and expansion into uh more or less a professional endeavor is exceeding where uh, obstacle course race is and it's kind of sounds like that's what you're describing right like crossfit there's a methodology mm-hmm. like and that's kind of what they are what they're selling more than anything is like do all these things like constantly varied whatever whatever they have their whole spiel like an ocr that's not necessarily defined in any type of way like kind of how you're saying like it is just mishmashed and like we're not sure why someone like you who would get better results than someone who is faster than you be in a foot race essentially Mm -hmm. right like it can come down like oh he's just great he's competitive and he's he looks super smooth through the obstacles but like how did he do that? <laughs> you know, like, and yeah. like, and why is not everyone doing that? And like, when you do, when you see like CrossFitters, they all kind of are doing the same thing. They're all training the kind of the same way. They're getting this very mm-hmm. similar type results. And so like, do you think there is a place to like bring a, a fitness methodology to like, would that be an answer for, for how to expand this thing? Like bringing a methodology to the masses? <laughs> well, I think, you know, I, thinking about this more and it's, I, I think the first step is kind of going back to we talk about goals and you know not chasing series or whatnot is is having athletes taking approach of like I want to find out like be patient and find out exactly what I'm capable of and spending you know <laughs> eight ten months in a training block training for something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, we've, we've seen it time and time and again, you know, the athlete that doesn't really care about the series comes out and crushes world championship and doesn't crush it, but they just have that much more than everybody else. And they come out with the win. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's, it's training properly and getting outside of the, um, the, the, the hecticness of a million races available. And that's, I think that is, that is the evil of it all is that there's too much available for 
anybody, whether a elite athlete or an age group, is that everybody has a gazillion races to do a year. Now, if you take back, look at like an ultra runner, how many opportunities are a mountain runner? How many opportunities do they have to run like a big, cool race a, a year in, in their local region? Like there's, you know, very slow fear. You end up like, you know, and that's if you look at like mountain running or, or ultra running culture, it's spending a year training for one thing, you know, and that's part of the culture for us. That's our culture is race, 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 train a little bit, recover race, 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 like for the age gripper, for the pro athlete for everybody. And that's just how it's structured. And there's not a freaking, there's not a sport like that who does it. every single sport has an off season to get. Right. There. So like we have this level of competition right now with no off season for the, the people who need to improve to improve appropriately without them taking a gut check and not going to the races for a while. You know, and when exposure is like the biggest thing, right? To get recognized, yeah. and, and, right? Like in, in your case, it's like, or say someone wants to do make that jump that you made, like they have to go all, to all the races, you know, like they have to mm-hmm. be seen and they have to potentially win that money that they have to in select races. And it's hard when it's like one body, like, you know, who's dictating everything. Yeah. Like, like Spartan. So like, you know, we owe a lot to them for the growth of the sport, but like the stranglehold that they have on the pro athletes is tough um, because it does kind of demand the 11 month season um, <laughs> to, to really, to really make the most out of it in terms of uh, an, an athletic yeah. endeavor, which is, top athlete. which is fine. If you're, you know where you stand in the sport and you know what you're capable of, but if you're not like that's, it's really tough to figure out like where to fit in. Right. You, know? you just have to take those. It's like, yeah, like I did the national series. I won, I got 10th, I got 10th in two races. So total, I won $300 yeah. and like how much did I spend on that? And like, that oh, was before you know, the protein, right? So it's like, I was just hoping to, I didn't even calculate it. I don't even want to know. Yeah. Like, it's just business expense. Um, so like you just, but like, that's what you kind of have to go after because that's what the demands are like, and you won't get recognized or you won't get uh, the opportunity to even be on the protein, which is a goal for a lot of people. Right. Like, so like even forcing to go to these races that don't make sense. Like I had no business going to Utah. I had no business going to big bear. Yeah. Like what the fuck was I doing there? Mm-hmm. Um, just to like have a score, but like, you kind of have to. Um, yeah. It's just, it's a very weird, it's a weird structure. It's like kind of a professional sport, kind of not, you know, I don't yeah. like, I'm not even sure how you classify it that, um, especially the direction it's going. And so getting back to like the rawness of the sport, like I loved it because early on they were like the races were challenges. Like the people who did like the Killington races that were championship races back in it, those weren't like, they weren't like, they were tough. Like you may not finish them. And the problem with the sport moving further into quote unquote, a sport is mm-hmm. that it it's um they're gonna get more and more away from that standardized it, yeah yeah which you know is cool for um competition and knowing what they expect but i that i don't know if that's what the sport was founded on um mm-hmm. and that's why it's it's weird that it's going there um you know that's why like if you want to start the conversation about olympics I never want to see the sport in the Olympics besides just credibility wise and, you know, having a national sport, but that, but 
that that formation of the what the Fort Worth becomes that gets inserted into that, even if I was young enough to do that, I don't think I would ever want to do that. I don't think that would be be fun besides, you know, enjoying really tough competition. But, you know, like any Olympic level athlete, like that sport is going to turn into something that someone trains four years for just one right. short race. Like that's, True. that's, that's not what we do now. What we do now is a really cool challenge that has really cool competition and a sport like feel to it with money and opportunities to do well and get notoriety and enjoy. Um, I just hope we can continue that. <laughs> right. And like what that's going to look like, is it mean different rate, like do other races emerge so that the, there's different leverage or are there like different arenas that pop up and they become like, uh, the kind of how NASCAR goes to different yeah. venues. Right. And like, you know, I, I think the most important part of the U S is that other competition emerges, um, not to change the sport, but just to push the envelope. You know, there's, you're not going to change unless, you know, you're challenged, you know? It's, yeah. That's enough of a reason to try a savage, which seems to be the one who's kind of bubbling up now or um, just getting out there and seeing what else is available. Um, like the OCR brand, those type of things. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I hope, I hope it all turns out well, <laughs> but you're doing your part out there, inspiring the people making it making it happen so we're doing um, our part just like blabbering on and just talking nonsense the funny thing is we just talk so much about this sport like whether it's on podcasts or to each other and we all complain like it's kind of it's kind of comical <laughs> it is and like because I, I always have to bring myself down i'm like and the one thing about the money that's available for Spartan is that it's like way better than any other really endurance endeavor. Like if I was trying to go out to like a road race, or like a mountain race, I want to make shit. <laughs> like, I, I you know. know. And that's why at the same time, like we complain, but like it, I, I don't know. Like, I don't really know if we have the right to, but at the same time, there's a lot of money that gets pushed into the sport from Spartan and sponsors. And it's like, where's there's all like a- that going? <laughs> And there's a balance, right? Like if we sit and are complacent and just accept what the realities are and Hey, Hey, we're happy. We get to compete and like, yeah, I get a free season pass. That's sweet. Got a headband also sweet. Um, but if we just sit here and take it, like, what's the, what's the incentive to push it forward, right? Like no one's going to stick up for the athletes unless it's the athletes. Yeah. You know, and that's what it comes down to is you, you talk about like, uh, understanding your value as an athlete. None of us know what our freaking value is, but right. it's important for us to say, like, to push that envelope. I mean, everybody doesn't have to, but, you know, me personally, I am fully willing to push the envelope on for Spartan and any of the other sponsors of just saying, like, I guess going to fight for more and more, you know, and not be afraid of, of you know, being turned down or said said no or you're not worth it it's you know look at look at the nfl like it's based on agents fighting for value from owners that they do not want to give up and you know once that once the one quarterback gets paid well the next one gets paid more and that's i think there there needs to be um more of it not just for money just in the sport in general of, of what we demand for as far as um consistency out of 
whoever's putting on a race, um, whether it's rules or who's mm-hmm. invited to the race, like uh, like the High Rocks thing that just went on. I was listening to what's going on that is that the, the takeaway I got is that they were inviting these people, but they really were only inviting people to get exposure to it. And like there's people that shouldn't the onus be. And all right, th- actually, let me, let me finish with this is when it comes down to competition and sponsoring and who's going to the races, I think there's too much onus on social media and value that way rather than any other sport in the, freaking world is based around bringing the best competition to a venue and like everybody wants to see the best teams play they want to see drew Brees and tom brady play. that's what's going to sell tickets you know people want to see the best athletes you know playing and that's you know if that's spartan paying the athletes to go that's paying them to go or just making it available for them to go or decrease in the races like it just seems like that's not the main focus at hand of of getting getting comp like the competition and and i think they look too much outside rather than saying hey there's a reason why the people in the sport are good like why don't we figure out how to make them better dude thank you like exactly like you like hey yeah, it's cool to see who the most fit athlete is from all these different domains like triathletes ocr athletes whatever but like no one wants there to be a sport that bring a competition that brings the best baseball players basketball players and football players to compete like the sport themselves is what's compelling like and we have that we have the athletes this like game show and And that's what the find out if it works find out if it works you know at least it's right here. Why not? Yeah, I know. Like that just would be really cool to see. And like, I get what they try to do with these sports is they try to take a couple of the top athletes in the sport to showcase them on TV, build their brands and smash all these other people and say, Hey, look at me. But that's like, that's like me going to play some college basketball and going back and smashing a bunch of high school kids and saying like, Hey, look at me. I'm the best. Ha ha. Like well, yeah, no shit. No shit. You're the best at basketball here. Yeah, yeah. We're, um, that's expected. Like, right. It's going to happen. Yeah. And it's just like the, the way it's like, it's back to the influencer type of a, like it's like influencer marketing in, in a, environment that is wise to it like it worked when it worked right like the fire festival example right mm-hmm. it's like the classic example yeah. of like influencer marketing going wrong and it worked now everybody knows this this shit is for sale and like they're still trying to kind of do it i know and it just seems really i mean i'm too close to it but if i was outside i'd be like this is so obvious why sam briggs is at this event like yeah yeah, and so I, I just I wonder what people from the outside looking in of our little small world of of what they they think about it. You know, yeah, they probably don't. Um, they probably don't think about it. <laughs> they probably have no thoughts about it. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, I'll say so. I, I don't know. For me, I plan on you know doing my thing and uh, it, enjoying it. And if there's opportunities to race and try to push the envelope, like going to do so i'm not going to take it too serious like i take it seriously but like not i don't know it's not the end of the world if you don't win a race and it's also i don't know is what it is yeah but i mean I, I like that you care like you and you know a conversation with your brother you guys like really care about this sport like genuinely yeah. can tell it's not just be- it's not just something you do it's like 
you're into it. You like yeah. there's something here for it, and there's real value for the participant and for other people to kind of get involved in it. So yeah, but I, I think it's going back to just making sure we don't think we're too special as a sport, as an individual. I think that goes a long way in our sport. That's really formed around social media and all mm-hmm. the other kind of superficial stuff. I think there's too much of that. It's just, I think we all take a step back and just, you know, appreciate the sport for what it is and appreciate ourselves for what we are and really push just the envelope of just making sure we're pushing like, Hey, we're in this for the right reason. We're going to go all out, you know, try to win and make the best of it. If there's an opportunity to make some money or, you know, get some, you know, whatever, even if it's a, a free season pass for someone who's on a, on a protein, like whatever it may be, but, you know, making sure you're pushing the envelope of just something you, you enjoy to do and love doing. That's perfect, man. Let's let's wrap it up on that, dude. Yeah, so I know. Working on, I rambled too much. <laughs> but you nailed it. Ex- exclamation point at the end. Period. Uh, where can people find it? Where if they want to reach out um, or just follow you, follow your, your, your story, follow your journey through the season? Eh, like Instagram, I guess I do a lot. I think it's ryan.kempson. Um I think I have a link to a website and stuff if anybody's interested in coaching or whatnot, but uh, keep it pretty low key. Yeah, cool. I'll make sure to link to everything. Um, where, where where can people find you on the course? Are you going to do the National Series? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll do Jacksonville for sure. And then um, I'm doubting any of these California races, but definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, Jacksonville, you know, West Virginia, Utah probably, and then uh, a whole bunch of uh, – Fun mountain races up in uh, New England. Uh, we have a pretty cool scene up here. I'll be around hanging out. You can do Vernon? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, I, I love uh, Vernon was the first venue I ever raced at. Um, like, I, not even race. Like, just did a race for fun with my brother. Um, I actually have a cousin who lives on the mountain. So it's like, I was, oh, nice. yeah, you oh, know, when, when you have family there and it's just, it's only a couple hour drive, like you fit in whenever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so hopefully that one happens that one's like kind of right on the the edge for me i'm thinking it's like maybe that's far enough away for an event to happen when, when is that it's like last weekend in april march april yeah so i don't know hopefully. we'll yeah. see i'm hoping dude it's been um, such a crazy year with all these cancellations i was supposed to have a wedding last may actually you were supposed to get married I'm supposed to get married yeah oh, do you push it back we had to cancel it and then we cancel it to this year in May and we got to push it back again for different. Like the first was we, everything was planned, ready to go. And we had to make, and we had to cancel it and you just couldn't really couldn't have the wedding. And then this year things may be open because we're doing it down in uh, the outer banks in North Carolina, but we literally can't plan it right now because nobody will commit to anything. Right. So now we've re- we literally just yes it rescheduled it to the fall so <laughs> so yeah that's yeah. A place like outer banks is like hard to get to and like dude kinda- get this so when we went down for we're having it in uh last spring we we're supposed to have it um and the, the house rentals are there's these huge houses and they're really cheap especially early on in may um so we are renting a couple houses big houses having a wedding there um and other people there's about you know, not that big like 120 people coming so other people are renting houses so we cancel the wedding and the um the the rental agencies they weren't they refused to give us like a refund even though 
in the like the the governor wasn't allowing people to travel to the state of North Carolina. And like most of the time out the outer banks itself was literally shut down from outsiders. Like one um, street, throw a roadblock on, like can't come in. So they finally, like after hassling with them, they're like, all right, yeah, we're going to give you a refund because you can't come the week. It was two weeks before they announced the day before our rental was supposed to start. They were opening up the outer banks and they wouldn't give us our money back. <laughs> So we just had to go. Oh, so you went? <laughs> we had, yeah, like not everybody went. We like distanced and tried to stay outside, and it was a nightmare. Was um, it was a night? It's probably fine. It's a cool beach. It's a cool place. Oh, the Outer Banks, if anybody, like, is literally just a like a strip of a dune with houses on it. Like, it's, uh, we've been, I've been going, I've been going over, yeah, I've been going every year for, I guess, about almost 30 years, 32 years straight now. Um, it's wow. kind of like, yeah, like when we kite surf and do a lot of water sports. So you just go down there, forget about the rest of the world and just chill. Yeah, you really can do that. And that's what the difference is with the Jersey Shore. I mean, from Philly, Jersey Shore is like, you know, an hour away. But like mm-hmm. you go and they really do have to like kind of police the area because it's, it's so easy to access that, you know, they you know kind of charge people. You can't have people drink yeah. out there. There's a bunch of rules to yeah. go to that. Yeah. So like. Have a blast. If you have if you have someone within like a football throw of you on the beach, like that's crowded. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really a cool place. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, we're uh my fiance and I we're getting married in October. Nice. Um, we're set so far. We're just getting married here in the city, so we're hoping that you know, we're not I'm sure something's gonna happen. Um, but hopefully it just it just goes through. Yeah, I, mean, I got faith everything's gonna get back to you know, some something normalcy you know, over the next, uh, hopefully by like July, um, as far as regular life, but dude, I've been going nuts this year. Like I, like I, like I said, going into 2019, I quit my basically day job to work on houses and, but we sold the house. So I've basically just been training full time since uh, we sold the house since, uh, end of August. Um, but like, I can't see anybody. <laughs> Like my, friend, <laughs> my friends I have around here have like kids and stuff. So they're still staying. Super like, careful, yeah. careful. You know, we ended up going to like Jersey to see family during Christmas, partially just because every single of my cousins, I have nine cousins in college and they've already all have COVID. So they couldn't give it to me. Everybody else is older. My aunt who works in the hospital is vaccinated already, but it's like we sit, my fiance works at a restaurant. So she sees people every day. But for me, like, I train, I see like a, maybe a friend once a week, but I have like, I can't hang out with everybody. <laughs> like, it's like going absolutely crazy. Dude, I can't imagine like, at least like, like, yeah, like you are, you don't even have the work to lean into. <laughs> yeah. No, dude, it's just, I don't have a sense of like, I'm like a lot of like my work ethic and stuff comes from like, as a kid working with my dad, i like, going to work, sweeping a floor and getting the satisfaction of that floor is sweeped and done. And when you're just training or just even, even coaching, like it's this ongoing carousel. Like last year, all summer it was, is there a race coming now? Is there a race coming now? Yeah. And not having like, all right, this is an off season. We're going to like the, the plans just keep changing based on things that people announce or don't announce. And it's like, just, it's nice. Like, that's why I love working on houses. Like 
you finish a room, you finish it, and you have something like in front of you, like something tangible, like, dude, I finished this. I did this. When it comes to training, there's no, I did this. It's, let me mark down my numbers. Let me look at Strava, training peaks, and like, and, no, and no races to see if it's working. It's like, I yeah, think it's working. Exactly. It's in shape. You know, so. Well, hopefully, hopefully Jacksonville goes through. I think Florida will make it happen. They'll demand it happens. People will be there. So, um, well, cool, man. Well, I do appreciate you popping on and chatting. This was great. And thanks for like hanging through the, this yeah. was like, a, we went through like a journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. And that's like, I hope somebody can grab it. It's so hard when people start asking me about like the Bredanko method, because I take myself as more of like a messenger of a person who can kind of refer to other master trainers because I, you know, I, that's what I do. I race, like I do coach, but you know, it's just, it, it's such, um, it's such a unique methodology and it's like, it's so hard to like rasp your head around like audibly. And actually I'll send you a podcast. Tom did a podcast with somebody, um, and you'd you'd really enjoy listening to that on top yeah. of like what what Taylor does because it, honestly everything that Taylor does as well like all the Z Health stuff the Cruise Elite stuff that is like the foundation of everything he did was because of the work he did with Tom and like there's the Berdenko method Igor Berdenko who's like I worked with him a little bit amazing person but like the foundation of why Taylor and I have taken the pass we have is is Tom doesn't just practice Berdenko method he's just a re- ridiculous human being like he he's from canada uh you know olympic ski coach played professional canadian football is like one of the fittest six-year-old people i've like battled cancer killed cancer like just an amazing human being that is uh, has absorbed so much information and like he runs the waterville ski academy um and trains every one of the the, the athletes that go to school there so you're talking like he's working with kids that are going over to the Olympics and it's just like that ski culture doesn't infiltrate into, you know, team sports necessarily. Or, or, yeah. yeah. Like it just, right. you know, ski skiers are, they have some of the, like the best training methodologies there and it's just what they do, but nobody else nobody sees it. it. And so specific. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link to that. You, you would enjoy learning a little bit about that. Yeah. I've, I've like kind of looked at it somewhat and like, like yeah the principles of like what what taylor talks about but i do appreciate that you're not like yeah i'll tell you everything about it it's just humility that if you were most instagram people are just like being like yeah this is my method here it is (laughs) yeah and that's i really struggle with like even posting stuff about it because like i want to share i have a platform to share it but at the same time like it's like people take it the wrong way like this isn't the end game it's just you know just take a little bit Take yeah, a little bit not, here, take a little bit there. It's not the secret, but it's nice to hear when people are doing different things or outside the standard, like outside of the box. What, yeah. what that would really. But that's what, like when I was learning the Bredanka method. Even Tom taught me, like it's not about the Bredanka method. It's not about this certification or this. It's like, hey, use these principles and pull whatever. Be creative. Pull whatever works. The best practices. Like, it's, mm. Be open minded. There's too many people learn something whether it's a strength and condition certification or their personal training. So whatever the heck it may be. And they just like, I'm right. Well, this, no, this you, is the way it's done. Right. It, this is the way. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's like the main thing with that. And that's what people that, and that, 
it makes sense why you're cautious around it then, because it's like, no, you, I, what I'm doing is just a little bit of this, of these principles. Like this Mm. isn't the magic pill. This is not the way this is just how I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, all good. Cool, man. Well, I'll I'll just hit stop and we'll head back to the green room. We'll we'll be all good, but I appreciate popping on. Had a great convo and we will see you guys later. Later, bro. Awesome. Freaking awesome. Thanks again for listening. I love this conversation. I'm a huge fan of Ryan Kempson and you should be too. So make sure to give him a follow and uh, shoot him messages, encouraging him to continue to kick ass at these big races. Also, if you like what we're doing here at Reinforced Running, please drop us a five-star review. If you have something nice to say, let us know. If you have something not that nice to say, just shoot me a message off of the, the Apple platform. You don't need to necessarily say it on there, but we do like feedback. So hit us up.